Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is what I said, as people know, when that whole thing broke with USC and actresses were paying $150,000 to $300,000 to get their kids into USC. I sat on these microphones and I said, hey, you want a deal at a good school? Send me five bucks, I'll get your kid into Binghamton. Well, nobody ever did it. So I wasn't faced with this particular crisis that I'm faced with now because of Mr. Spicer, who, by the way, I admire enormously for doing this. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. He sent me a $5 bill of Finsky. Cash money. Straight cash, homie. Send it to me. I'm working on the deal. I don't know if the kid has applied. Right. But remember, I could not. I, I was unfamiliar with the high school. And I stumbled over the pronunciation a number of times. Yes. we got- I later found out from Chris Saliza that that is a field hockey powerhouse. That particular high school sends all sorts of kids to college field hockey teams. Let me read this from John Hosinski in Falls Church, Virginia. I couldn't help but notice that while reading a letter from the mailbag, you struggled with the pronunciation of Emmaus, Pennsylvania. It's not Emmaus, but Emmaus, E-M-A-Y-U-S, Emmaus. Though I am not from there and can't name any famous people from there, I can surmise the town was named for a New Testament story of disciples on the road to Emmaus. Since you are Jewish, I don't fault you for not knowing the story, but you should know that the Emmaus story is perhaps one of the greatest David Aldridge moments of the New Testament. (laughs) Two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus when the resurrected Jesus appears to them as a fellow traveler on the road. They don't initially recognize him, but engage in a discussion with the stranger, eventually inviting him out to eat with them, probably at some dusty hut, but not at Carbone. While eating dinner, they break bread with the stranger and suddenly realize it's Jesus who suddenly disappears just as they get to the, hey, I know that guy moment. So the moral of the story is if you meet a stranger on the road, or if a guy purporting to be a sports writer calls the house to thank you for your generosity... But be kind to them. It might be somebody famous. Love the podcast. That's a great, great email. A couple of other emails I wanted to read at the beginning. Dear Mr. Tony, this is from John Mays uh, in Brentwood, Tennessee. You read one of my emails a few years ago, so I figured you were waiting on an update of my life, much like some of your other listeners have been providing. Today I was notified that my six-year-old son dropped his pants on the playground and urinated on the ground in front of his kindergarten class. <laughs> My six-year-old daughter, yes, twins, frequently listens to Taylor Swift in her room alone. And my three-year-old son is at the perfect height to punch all adult males squarely in the crotch, which he does with alarming frequency. Please forward your next box of that, preferably booze, to the address below. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. That is a fantastic. It's a great life. Michael, do you have any problems like that? Uh, So I have that to look forward to in kindergarten. No, we have uh, the boys at preschool have discovered potty language. So everything is Mm. uh, everything is poop on your head. Poop on your head. Poop on your head. Okay. All right. And one more from DG, of course. I have an interesting connection to Lindbrook. My connection to Richie Lobel comes from my cousin Stevie Davidson, who moved from Clearview in Queens to Lindbrook when his father remarried in 1963 after his mother's death in 1961. My Uncle Aaron married Rhonda Ferber, who was a widow and a schoolteacher, I think, at the William Buck Elementary School. They also belonged to Beth David, where I belonged. They lived on Westminster Road near Peninsula Boulevard. Richie Lobel and my cousin Stevie married the Noodleman twins and became brothers-in-law and are still very close. The phone number was Lindbrook 38871. Funny what you remember from the old days. Regards, DG. <laughs> I remember my phone numbers. Lindbergh 38292. It, I remember my phone number. That's because that's how they used L-Y-3-8-2-9-2. to LY 38292. Right. In the old days when you had exchanges. Now, one was Lindbergh or something like that. So, DG keeping us up to date on. Wait, on pause everything. for a second. How many exchanges were there? Not enough, as it turned out, because everything then went to numbers. But every town had one or two. You have to understand in the 1950s, you didn't, there were no portable phones. You had one phone in the house. That's all you had. It sat on a little table somewhere in the downstairs, and everybody used the phone. There was one phone. Like, if somebody called for you, you couldn't pick up the phone and go into your room was, and hide. It's a public conversation. This, you know, everybody heard everything everybody said. Yes. Bad. That was bad. America is better now. The world is better now. A couple of things to point out. Michael has brought over... Marinara sauce from Carbone. Where did you get this? No, I'm not I, no, sure I usually get Rayos. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is the real deal because I think it's missing an S at the end. 
Well, no, but they, that is, I added the S for no reason. Okay, should I just should I sharpie an S on yours? Yeah. No. So uh, so I, I Googled this, and apparently this is widely available. I found this at a very, uh, originally at a very bougie uh, market in Georgetown named Foxtrot. Right. But unfortunately, in my neighborhood, we are out of their delivery zone. Mm. So I had to go to the Cathedral Common Giant. So and again, it's about it's a great $2, giant, by $2 the way. cheaper than the Rayos. Well, Rayo, but... R.A.O. Rayo's is a very, very great sauce for a long period of time, made in the restaurant in, uh, in actually right on the outskirts of Harlem in Manhattan that Dick Schapp used to go to once a week because he had a Tuesday standing table for four all the time. And Rayo's was and is considered to be one of the great Italian restaurants. And now they have all of this product that they send out. Sort of like Lupo's, where I buy the Speedy Marinade. So now Carbone, that's very nice. Yes, thank you. Oakland Hills, Michael. One of the great historic golf courses of all time in Michigan, which has hosted majors, right? You said six Opens? I believe six Opens. Ryder Cup, yeah, PGAs. Most recently, the uh, Ryder Cup back in 2004 uh, had undergone major renovations, but this is a very famous championship course. Uh, yeah, this is super the entire clubhouse burned down, made of wood, burned down, gone. made of wood. I believe the clubhouse was just about to celebrate a hundred years, and this is not just about you know someone's club burning down. This is a this is a museum to the history of the game. If you think about the types of memorabilia, be it clubs from Ben Hogan going through yeah. uh, going through a, you know U.S. Open victory there, or even just signed scorecards for memorable memorable events. Even think about non championship things. Think about local golf. Think about the people that you would know who played the game that's all part of the that's all part of the history of these places so people should know this that that the great clubs um that host the majors over long periods of time they all have essentially museums on their ground floor someplace is the history of that club, which is the history of golf. Well, and that's just what you see yeah. as you're walking through the halls. Think right. about everything that you're keeping up in the rafters in the attics. That's, yeah. that's sort of the true history yeah. as you're trying to sift through what to display. So let me, get, let me get to something that I was not going to get to, but I'm going to get to now, and that is Juan Soto. So for those of you who don't care about Juan Soto, you, know, you can stop listening, but I care about Juan Soto. The Washington Nationals were a very competitive baseball team for five or six or seven years. Before Juan Soto came along. Juan Soto helped them win a World Series when he was, what, 19, 20 years old? And again, he was the surprise. He was not the can't-miss prospect. Victor Robles was the can't-miss. Juan Soto was a guy. Juan Soto is now the can't-miss. He's 22 years old. He's going to make a tremendous amount of money, more money than most of us can actually fathom. It's just too much money. If they put it all in a wheelbarrow in front of you, you, you just wouldn't understand how much money this is. And it, couldn't, it would overflow the wheelbarrow and the truck that the wheelbarrow came in. <laughs> right. Okay, It would do that. The Nats are not competitive now. They've lost all their great players. Um, as I was famously told, what do they know that you don't know? And I don't know what they know that I don't know. But they don't have any great players anymore. They had a bunch of guys lately on one-year deals or two-year deals, and they just, you know, they have Steven Strasburg who can't get out to them. And now. it's been years in the making where they just, yeah. they had no depth because they were using all those prospects to try and get the the last piece, be it and they one got more it. starter or relief. They won the World Series. It was worth it. They got it. The Lerner family won the World Series, and they have been very, very good owners to this point. Four years ago, they let Bryce Harper walk. It's okay. They won a World Series after Bryce Harper. That wasn't the, the killing blow. That was not. It, it just was not. But they made an offer to Bryce Harper when he had the ability to leave for something like $30 million a year. Was it 10 and 300? I think so. Something like 10 and 300. Now, Bryce Harper took more money from Philadelphia, even though less per year. He took more money because it was important to him to be the highest paid guy other than Mike Trout. And he was. Okay. But what did the Nats learn from that? The Nats just offered Juan Soto. Now, they have a couple of years before Juan Soto can leave. But the Nats just offered him more total money, but less money per year than they offered Bryce Harper four years ago, pre-ridiculous inflation that's happening now. What did they learn? The answer is they learned absolutely nothing from Bryce Harper. My feeling is very simple. The Washington Nationals sit down and they say, how high are we going to go for this guy down the road? If we can sign him for X, what is X? There is no way that X is not $400 million. It is $400 million. They understand that. 
If you're going to pay him down the road $400 million and you are dead solid certain that he's going to reject your first offer because that's what Scott Boris does, and you're going to go to four, go to four now. Boris wants five anyway. He's not going to take it. And even if he takes it, you get him. That's the number you were willing to spend, and you get him at that point. And you say to your fans, we offered him more money per year than anybody else we have ever offered money to. We have kept the faith. We have the moral high ground. And the fans look at the deal and they go, hmm, that's pretty good. Like even if you don't, even if it doesn't take it, that's a deal where you're going to say as a fan, that's pretty good, and the Nats tried. This is a public relations disaster. Because everybody looks at this and says, are you kidding with this? Why didn't you go higher with this? It's okay if he rejects it. It's okay. Where, tell me where I'm wrong on you're, this. You're not wrong anywhere. And this is, I'm going for a walk last night when the boys are in a bath, and I'm wearing a Nats I love hat. the Nats. And, and, an, and an older gentleman walks by and goes, can you believe he didn't take the money? And I go, actually, I can. <laughs> yes. And to your point, it's like, even if you think it's, even if you're the, the sort of the responsible shoulder is saying, you know what, this is just an opening move. It's going to go higher. We're going to start at 350 because we think it's going to get to, say, 415 or 425. Just put a four in front of just it. Just do it now. The one thing that you've lost is sort of the respect of general fans and the league in terms of the deferred money which this was not the case no, but that's what everyone that's what everyone assumes yeah. and sort of your your ability to to keep star players now for whatever reason Bryce wanted to go he wanted to go so he I don't really go. fault him for that they but won he, the world series after he left it's just, okay just put a number that he can't say no to and if he does you still look okay cuz there's there's years where he had some Something can still happen, but at least you save face there. And probably it doesn't come out that you made that offer. You need to believe that every single thing you do is ultimately going to become public. Yes. And you need to strategize in that way. These are not stupid people. They've made hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a billion dollars. They know what they're doing with money and investments and, and things they build. But this is, it's not that it's unforgivable. It's just so dumb. It's so dumb because it makes them look bad. Put the four in front of it. You know it's going there. You know who Scott Boris is. You know the deal. You know he's not taking it. He's not taking it. He wants five, right? Yeah, and now you just think about every... He wants to float. If and when we start playing baseball, every time Juan Soto gets on base, you're just going to have somebody in here going like, really? They, they were only willing to go... They and he's got no team. He's got no squad. So at least for this year probably for more years, but at least for this year, he's going to be the best player on a bad team. Yes. And he's going to have to figure out, is this what I want for the rest of my career, to be the best player on a bad team? Bradley Beal, that's his entire career. He's the best player on a bad team. So you don't even know if he's good. You know he's good, but you don't know how good he is or if he's just the best player on a bad team. And if that's something that's acceptable to him, you would say, well, wouldn't he want to go play on a good team? Well, he probably wants to play on a good team, but he hasn't been able to maneuver that yet. I, I'm, I guess the word I would use is I'm disappointed by this because it was, it was easy. Um, you strategize it. It's easy. You're disappointed, and you also thought that when you got to that World Series and won it that you, you had turned a corner into how you were yeah. going to deal with, uh, with keeping yeah. a roster. Yeah. Well, you know, Scherzer is gone and Turner is gone, and, and even the, the, the wonderful pickup. Schwarber is gone. Yeah. You know. Well, he's a free agent, so you could get, possibly get him back if you wanted. Yeah, I, you're going to have to pay too much money. He took Probably. a $10 million one-year deal. This is what owners are doing now. Yeah. They don't want to spend a whole lot of money for guys over 30. Did you, seen, a, did you see any highlights from the uh, USA GBR curling match last night? I did not. How did we do? Did we beat the, the dreaded the GBR, the Great G Britain? Yeah, well, they, they started the game, so they did win. They deserved to win. Okay. Just sort of disappointing. They, uh, they, they had, curling was invented in England? I believe so. The Scottish invented it. Oh, okay. I didn't know That's that. That's most um, great things. Haggis, you know. Yeah, I didn't in the, know in the middle like ends, that. in the middle ends, there are some really interesting doubles. What are you talking about? I, I think the ends you is sound basically like Kevin as they go up and down the field. Um, you sound like Kevin, who always tries to get the, to the, the lingo, yeah, the line to gain, <laughs> line to gain, line, line to, to gain. gain. No, yes. but you, you, you so to hear it. to hear them when they call out a timeout and to hear Schuster just they just step up. Like, Here's what we're going to do because then they are going to toss so, it right here. Is he the captain? He's the captain. Or is it, does he have another word? The skip? 
I believe he is the is, skip. Does that mean skipper, or is that some form in curling? That, I did not see the rock skip, so I think it's skipper as in, yeah. So he's, he's John Schuster is his name. I went to high school with John Schuster, who then went to Princeton and became a distinguished professor um, in Australia, and has lived in Australia for like 40 years. Um, and every time I see the name John Schuster, I think, wow, is that what he's doing now? He's doing curling, <laughs> but he's cur- way a little too early old. for it, but a lot of great Halloween costumes on that USA curling team. <laughs> and, and they're, and they're athletes now. They're not just smoking and drinking. <laughs> Wasn't there a big story about that? I, I keep waiting for one of the announcers to say, well, one of the factors in this match is, uh, John is very hungover. So yeah. <laughs> something they'll have to contend with throughout this match. He's seeing two blockers. <laughs> right. yeah. Sad, sad moment, by the way, in England, not even away from the Olympics, the conviction of, the guy for the Angels, oh, executive yes. for the Angels, in yes. directly tied to the death of Tyler Skaggs. He's going to jail. He's going to jail for a long time. Minimum of 20 years, I believe. He's going to jail for a long time. And, and the revelations, and, and by the way, if you think this only happens on the Angels, you'd be very naive. You would think this happens on all teams. The revelations of the drug use, very unnerving. Yeah, that's right? the word. Unnerving. Unnerving. We'll take a break. When we come back, do we have Lock and Four or Windhorst? Uh, Jason. Next. Jason Lock and Four. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Indochino ad. Whether it's finding a signature color, wearing a more flattering cut, or getting a new statement piece. I, it, I've watched enough mob movies that a piece is, is like a gun. <laughs> the right detail can take your wardrobe up a notch. This year, let Indochino take care of your 2022 style edit. You can customize everything from suits and shirts to chinos and bomber jackets. It's a killer bomber jacket. At prices more affordable than you might expect. Nigel, you don't have a bomber jacket from them. You have a bomber jacket. I do. But not from them, but you have suits. I do. I have three suits. Love them. You'll love them, too. It, it makes you look fantastic. It's tailored to your specific measurements. I did mine famously with the uh, rope the open, stick. Uh, rope and a yardstick. Rope and a yardstick, yes. Uh, you could go to a tailor, but then you can custom design the suit any way you want. I wish I knew his tailor. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's just, Thank you. it's just a great deal. It really is. Indochino offers completely custom-fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more at surprisingly affordable prices. Get a wardrobe personalized to your style and taste without spending a fortune. Every piece is made to your exact measurements. You can customize every detail. So you can choose everything about your suit, including the fabric, the lapel, the monogram, the statement lining. Nigel has the Union Jack. You can create a suit <laughs> yes. that fits you and your style perfectly. And the best part is Indochino suits start from just $429 and shirts from $79 with all customizations included. So give yourself a style edit that sets the tone for the rest of the year with Indochino. It's a good line. Get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the promo code TONYK at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. And the promo code is TONYK. Don't be an idiot. Use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Just when you think you've got a handle On all of life's shocking twists and turns Pandemics come and go and all the rest of it But I'm trying to comprehend what I've just learned the hammer snores. <laughs> that ain't no fiction. Get him a briefcase and a shaving club subscription. <laughs> What's this Velcro sneaker business? Damn it. In his sippy cup, some bourbon or that good wine from Willamette. <laughs> the hammer snores. Oh, yes, it's true. Grab his cigarettes, we're going to the zoo. <laughs> He's got a check it past, his life ain't pretty. All the secrets he could tell, stinky and dirty. The hammer so snores, the hammer roars. Who knows what else he's doing behind closed doors. In his jammies, the liquor pours. The hammer Genius. Dan Byrne is a genius. He's a genius. Reminder, the hammer is two and a half years old. Just right. putting it out there. Genius. He plays in Jason Lock and Fora, and this is our like wrap-up 
of the entire football season, though Jason has to continue to work for CBS on this. Um, The Rams as champions, is that satisfying to you? Are you, you know, do you say, you know what? That's a deserving team. They are legitimate champions. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, You know, like the Bengals, they did their best work in the second half. They were one of those teams that got better as the season went along. Um, I, I I have no qualms with it whatsoever. I don't I don't think there's anything um, you know that, that you could sort of discount or throw out or or I mean quibble with. They 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 came back. They won that game. That they, they didn't have uh, sort of their full arsenal there. Uh, they they had right. to adjust, and I think some of the injuries certainly took the steam out of them for a while, and and made life difficult for Sean McVay and for Matthew Stafford. And they had to sort of hunt and peck and play that game a little differently than I think that they would have had Odell Beckham not gotten hurt, and, and maybe had they had a few more people available to them. But no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, there's not, I don't really. Okay. I can't quibble with them. You got you got an issue with them, Tom? No, I don't. I don't. But you're the football expert, and I want to know. Because <laughs> yeah, sometimes, no. sometimes a team rises up and wins the Super Bowl, and you say, how did they get here? But right. with the Rams, I understand that. Now, there was immediate talk afterwards that Sean McVay was going to walk away, that Aaron Donald was going to walk away. They have both since said they're not going to walk away. Run it back. But Beckham and Miller, Beckham and Miller can walk away. Yeah. And do you expect that? Because they're great players. I mean, Odell Beckham proved he's yeah. a great player. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, he, he was a difference maker for them. And, again, they were a little bit sort of punch drunk and meandering there for a while, uh, both in terms of sort of their their philosophy, right, like how are we going to do this, and then um, the execution as well, having to sort of call on some people who um, weren't weren't quite up to the task, yet we, we know that Cooper Cup certainly was. Yep. And so was Matthew Stafford. Um, look, there, there is this narrative out there, and people have been conditioned, and the NFL and the owners and the teams have done a great job of selling this narrative that the salary cap is the boogeyman, and you know it's this whatever dark figure who rides in on a horse with a sickle and just just waylays our best our our best laid plans. The reality is it is it is soft, it is fungible, it is malleable. You, you can use lots of different sort of tactics and techniques to maneuver around it if, if you are willing to spend and you have an owner who's willing to spend, you know, over that cap and in some instances significantly over that cap to try to um, keep that window uh, for you to truly compete and maximize your ability to secure talent to keep that window open. Strikes me that Stan Kroenke is one of those guys who's not sitting there. Um, and as much as all these guys will certainly be um, cheaper or penny pinchers about certain things, this team spending money on its players is, I mean, they've been doing it since they were in St. Louis. I mean, they, they've had a history of overpaying in numerous yeah. instances. Mediocre, excuse me, mediocre players as if they were the best in the league at their position or certainly one of the top five best. So now that they have, uh, a, a core of players who who are undoubtedly among the best at what they do. I don't think those guys are going to leave because Stan Kroenke's not willing to pay them, and and I don't think many of them are going to leave because they feel like they have a better chance to win elsewhere because they just won. Um, I agree with that. I you know, totally so Odell. Agree with that. I mean, look, I think I think Odell makes sense for them because they weren't averse to bringing in Odell last year when he was a little beat up in the middle of the season to see what that looked like. And now they know what he is, and he probably won't be ready until at some point, I don't know, November, whatever. I think they're fine with that. That's like making a move at the trade deadline, which they love to do. Uh, Von Miller, I mean, I don't know too many other places you can go and have a dude like Aaron Donald getting double and triple teamed all over the place. Like, where where is he going to go where, where they have that? And where is he going to go where they're, you know, they're the Super Bowl champs, and they're you know, they're going to be in prime time next. Like everything you could look for is you're putting the exclamation on your Hall of Fame career, including a chance to win another Super Bowl. 
I think they offer that. And, and their only means of player procurement right now are, is to spend money because they don't have any draft picks. And they're, no draft you know, picks. Yep. They're, they're, they're clearly okay with that bargain. They're the last team standing. So um, I think that there will be shades of the Tampa situation a year ago where people said, well, look at their cap situation. I mean, they're, they're going to have to lose X, Y, and Z. They didn't. They lost no one. They lost, they lost that t- no one. Brought 22 starters back. Yeah. So let me get to this. We, we had, on PTI, we have this all the time. The day after the Super Bowl or two days after, the question becomes, who's more likely to get back to the Super Bowl, Cincinnati or the Rams? And I said, I don't care if all these people leave. The answer is the Rams. Because the NFC well, is so yeah. much easier to navigate. Tom Brady is gone from an NFC team. Aaron Rodgers may well be gone from mm-hmm. an NFC team. Kyler Murray may well be gone from an NFC team. As you look around the NFC, the San Francisco 49ers, okay, not mm-hmm. many other teams where you go, oh, can't beat them. Am I right on that? No, the I NFC agree. The is so much harder. In the, AFC, the quarterbacks in the AFC, um, I think, uh, by and large, the coaches are in the AFC. Um, and, and you're right, this could be further, that, that conference could be further compromised by some of these trades, potential trades you mentioned, um, or at least some of these icy situations that exist between franchise quarterback or potential franchise quarterback and the organization. And then remember, you know, Drew Brees the year before left, and now Sean Payton left. So, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. They're, they're, and, and then so you're looking around at who's still standing. I mean, if, if, if you want to sell Dallas, you can. You, you can't sell them to me. I mean, I, I'll, I'll right. buy Dallas as a Super Bowl team when I see them back in the Super Bowl. So, yes, I, I think the balance of power has shifted substantially to the AFC. You know, saying all that, and what the Rams are doing is more sustainable than people would probably think on first blush. The reality is they don't have uh, the number of blue-chip players under you know on their rookie contracts that the Bengals do. I mean, the Bengals are set up uh, – to have this continue, but there's always the question of, well, they are the, you know, they've been the bungles, and will they find a way to bleep this up, even when it looks like that they might have one of the, the on paper best roster situations um, in the NFL? And I, I don't know, you know, I mean, they obviously have to protect this quarterback much better than they have yes. at this point, and yes. that has to be, or else he's you know. Carson Palmer and he's out. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, you know, that's got to be priority one, two, and three of this offseason. And I've said this in the past, and not in jest. Like, if they draft, they got, I think, nine picks. Like, if they drafted six offensive linemen and three defensive linemen and, like, nothing else, I, I wouldn't particularly be mad at them. Now, this isn't the greatest offensive line draft in the world, but still, <laughs> they've got to find players, both, you know, starting caliber for now and depth at that critical position. Um, you know, but yes, I, I think there's a lot of teams in the AFC who would say, man, if we were in the NFC West, if we were in the NFC North instead of the AFC, we, we, would, we would win 12, 13 games. We'd have the one seed, and we'd, we'd like our chances better than having to go through the gauntlet um, that the AFC playoffs are yes, likely to look like again next year. I agree. And there are teams you're forgetting. I mean, like, everybody will mention Kansas City and Buffalo that Cincinnati now has to beat. And they'll mention Tennessee, but they've already forgotten about Baltimore. But what if Baltimore's real good? You know, I mean, there's, sure. there's teams out there. What if the Chargers are real good? That you look at the NFC, yeah. that is not a conversation you're having. Because, well, it, even, it, because I mean, the default England, position is Dallas. Jones in no, year two, if he has another yeah. decent yeah. offseason. I mean, there's yes. certainly, yes, I, I think that the, the number of sort of on-paper Super Bowl contenders right now is much higher in the AFC. And you're right, the number of sort of dark horse teams on paper right now is deeper in the AFC. Yeah. Is there an off-season story, one off-season story that you're looking at having to do with a player or a coach or a rule change or something like that? Is there, or, or getting rid of ownership? I mean, is there something out there where you say, this is going to happen? I think that the idea of owners being held accountable by outside forces that then may change the landscape or the sort of the way the wind's blowing um, within the league itself is is an interesting phenomenon and something we haven't seen much of in the past. And the fact that 
you've got multiple owners now who, um, you know, may be seen as having gone too far by even their peers. And again, that only happens because of the outside pressure, both Capitol Hill and, you know, potentially sponsors mm-hmm. and, and the uprising mm-hmm. that we're seeing among um, some some NFL fans or just the, the general public itself. You know, what, what that climate looks like through this long half-year offseason um, and how those teams are sort of constructed from a, uh, 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 you know, the, from the higher-ups come week one is, is certainly interesting to me. Uh, what other actions this uh, House Oversight Committee takes is interesting to me. Um, so, yes, I, I think that is uh, is something that a lot of people will be monitoring this offseason. You know, uh, it's always quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks. You know, how many Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, again, Aaron yeah. Rodgers, where is he going to go? Yeah, right. I understand Ooh. that. But you, you get tired of that. Yeah. Right, you get yeah. tired of that. But how many of them actually change addresses? I don't think... I, I frankly don't think it will be um, it will be very many, and then obviously you've also got the Deshaun Watson situation wrapped up in that. Where um, you know I don't think anybody. I mean, uh, until there's more clarity and closure about exactly what his legal situation looks like uh, criminally, and then also the, the the issue of all these civil complaints. I I, I don't know, Tony. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know that he's playing football next year. You know, I, he is, I certainly he is don't at know many moment, franchises banking on it. Unplayable at the moment. Unplayable. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. you know, and, and uh, you know, we had one year where he was unplayable, and now, right now, we're heading into the second year where he is unplayable. It's simple as that. Plug your radio show for us, Jason. Thank you, my friend. You can listen to me ramble from 2 to 6 Eastern time. Uh, on Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. You can listen to us on the Odyssey app. Uh, you can stream us at www.1057thefan or, or just listen to us um, on your transistor radio or what have you as you walk through the streets. Um, maybe you're a boombox guy. I, I, our sound quality is legit. It's a decent signal. Uh, hopefully we can get you through your afternoon. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys as always. Thank you, Jason. Jason Lockton for our boys and girls. We'll take a break. Brian Windhorse will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the trade ad. Michael wasn't here the other day when we did Still the very first, worried about the first one. First trade ad <laughs> in which I described receiving the French press yes. and receiving the specialty coffee. And not knowing what to do, <laughs> hoping that Michael would help me because I just don't know what to do. Right. This, is, this is something that's very interesting to me. Most coffee is dull, stale, and questionably sourced, these people say. But it's easy to get stuck in a rut and drink what you always have. Instead of standing in front of all the options in your grocery store, let Trade Coffee help you find something new to love. Trade sells the fresh roasted, freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you'd like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee nerd or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based upon your preferences and brewing methods. There's a, there's a coffee quiz that you took I took me. the quiz for you right. on, on your behalf, and I, I believe you have a decaf dark roast. Yes, which... Ground for you. Which is... The, my, some of my lovely. memories as a kid are waking up to hear you using the coffee grinder. I have done that in my life. I moved away from it when I went to K-Cup, so I'm happy to go back to this. Yeah. Their subscription is no hassle. Skip shipments, change your frequency, cancel at any time. So you know how to do this. So I'm, I'm very excited to hear you go down the rabbit hole of water temperature as you try and figure out this French press. I will do this. Let's I not will... even talk about ratio of water to grams of coffee. My only problem with it is, as I said the other day, I drink one cup of coffee a day, and this is going to make a lot more than that. So maybe I'll turn into a coffee drinker. Yeah. It's, it's fine. For our listeners right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash Tony. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash Tony and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drink, D-R-I-N-K, trade, T-R-A-D-E, dot com slash Tony for $20 off your first three bags. And I'm going to do this with you. 
I'm, I'm going to try it like you're going to try it. It's going to be fun. We can do emails about it. <laughs> Put the kettle on. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The old folks remember D-Day, where they were flavor their ice cream. Some folks remember Kennedy or the Olympic hockey team. My uncle remembers Sputnik. He was in the seventh grade. Now we think of time as either before or after the Simmons Harden trade. <laughs> Gosh, I can barely remember the time before they swapped their shirts. Simmons couldn't shoot. Harden thought his teammates were jerks. Here's a picture of me. Don't I look anxious and afraid? Apparently taking a week before the Simmons Harden (laughs) trade. Simmons Harden trade. Can't imagine how life would have been if Simmons stays in Philly and James stays in Brooklyn. But we don't need to wonder, and life's one big parade. Ever since they finally did pull off that Simmons Harden trade. Genius. Dan Byrne is a genius. He's a genius. Michael, if people like Dan Byrne want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. We now welcome my friend Brian Windhorst, who had that trade. He had that trade. When others did not have that trade, when Wilmbot said they're not going to make that trade, and Brian said they're going to make that trade, and they made that trade. And Brian is in Cleveland, and that is um, close to your hometown. Yes, close to your hometown. Yeah, I mean, out in the world, I claim it because other people don't know where Akron is, so I, I claim it. Yeah, and and you go back there for the All-Star game. Uh, what would you say is the biggest story in the NBA? Because uh, we're going to have this period of seven days, thanks to Adam Silver, that nobody plays any basketball, and people who do daily television shows have nothing <laughs> to talk about. Nothing. Because the players who make $47 million a year, not even to play like John Wall, don't play at all for a week. What is there? Is there some talk? Is there, I, I guess the trade sapped a lot of the talk because it actually happened. Is there some big story that we should anticipate? Mm, I hope not. I could use the rest. I know you, <laughs> you need the content. Yeah. But I don't blame uh, Adam for giving players more time off because the NBA is lucky that these guys are sh- are showing up to this All Star game. The weather is terrible. They don't. I mean, I say this as somebody from the Cleveland area. They, people don't want to come to Cleveland in February. It's a terrible idea. Right. There's there was an ice storm last night. People couldn't get in. Team flights were you know were landing in the middle of the night, and they have to be in media availabilities and stuff like it's six hours later. It's not a good scene here. So uh, and considering that the players pretty much do whatever they want these days anyway, and the league yeah. just lets them do it, they don't really seem to care. Um, I, I wonder how long it's before some of these guys who get voted in the all-star game just go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to the Caribbean. Find me. Um, so, um, but anyway, uh, you know, I do think uh, there was an interesting game in the NBA on um, Thursday night. Um, the Sixers, who are all of a sudden just seem to be in a free frame of mind, even before Harden is even playing, went into Milwaukee uh, after beating the Celtics, who were the hottest team in the NBA by 45 or something the other night, uh, in Boston, I'd like to point out. Uh, then they go to, to, to Milwaukee, uh, who had their whole roster. You know, Giannis has missed a few games recently, but they had Giannis, Middleton, Holiday, and they win in Milwaukee, and Jan and uh, you know Embiid had 42 in another brilliant performance. Um, like, hello, they are waking up, and James Harden, I guess, has decided he will f- deem playing uh, next week. Uh, he couldn't be bothered with playing this week, even though he says his hamstring is fine. 
But the point is, is that Philly, a team that was vastly underachieving because of their situation, seems to be roaring to life even before Harden arrives. And that is the team I will be watching very closely as the break, uh, you know, comes up as we come out of the break. Thank you very much for mentioning Harden, because the question I had written that I was going to next is, why aren't Simmons and Harden playing? Exactly why aren't they playing? Harden makes an announcement, I'm excited, I'm healthy, it's the opportunity of a lifetime, and then doesn't say this sentence, and I'll see you in a week or two. Well, why aren't they playing? In Harden's case, because he can, because he could do whatever he wants. And nobody seems to really care that much. He's, you know, quit on two teams in, you know, yeah, in two years. a year and a half, you know, not even two years. And people are still clamoring to get him. And the reason is because he's got spectacular talent. And when he's on his game and, and wants to play, he's so good that he's worth it. And that's pretty much the NBA. There, you know, there's certain players that are so good that they're worth it, that they can do whatever they want. And that is the era that we are in. And the, the rarity and scarcity of high-end talent has always been a thing, and the high-end talent has just realized over the last decade that it basically gives them a blank check, and they are writing those blank checks a lot. The Simmons situation is a lot more complicated. You know, he, the, the effective reason why he was not playing in Philadelphia, the stated reason was because he was dealing with some mental health challenges. And because of that, he will go through whatever process he has to and play whenever he's ready to play. And you have to respect his situation, let him go through that. Um, so I guess we will see. I will say that people who I've talked to who've been at Simmons workouts recently say he's in great shape. Of course, you don't play a game for nine months. You're not going to be in NBA shape. But uh, they right. report that it's not like we're going to see a guy who's not ready to play. So I, I am looking forward to seeing him get out there as well. Um, they award these All-Star games years in advance. It's been two, three, four years that everybody knew it was going to be in Cleveland. Cleveland was a dreadful team. Once LeBron left and they fired a coach in an hour and a half, and it was a total sinkhole, they are now the most surprising team in the NBA, right, Brian? They're the most surprising team. They are the, the ideal because what you're, what, what you're supposed to believe is that even if you're not in New York or Los Angeles and you can't get free agents, you're able to build your team through smart management. Um, as we know, uh, as the Sacramento Kings and, Memphis, and uh, Minnesota Timberwolves can attest, uh, that is not always accurate. Um, uh, so well, what's happened here is they got, a, they got three or four consecutive years of, of high draft picks. And they drafted Darius Garland, who is now looking like he's one of the top point guards in the league in his third yeah. year. I mean, he's spectacular. And they drafted Evan Mobley, who is probably going to win Rookie of the Year. And you know, people who I believe in the league say is a cross between uh, Chris Bosh and, and Kevin Garnett, because he's an incredible defender with uh, you know really evolved offensive skills. They're only going to get better. And they made a brilliant trade to get Jared Allen, who was also a first-time All-Star. And they didn't sign anybody. They didn't um, win the lottery, although they moved up in the lottery to get Mobley to number three. They took some luck there. Um, and they have another uh, you know, high draft pick, Colin Sexton, who's very talented and is out for the year uh, that they lost. I mean, they are in this position, and uh, they have two All-Stars and likely you know, the leader for Rookie of the Year. And one of their better players is out for the year. And so it's, it is really, uh, you know, both them and the Memphis Grizzlies who built through the draft. Um, you know, their three best players are all guys that they drafted in the last three years. Um, just a, a testament to smart drafting and great development. And that's why Wilbon expects LeBron James, whose high school you attended as well, he expects LeBron James to be back in Cleveland next year. You are not quite as optimistic about that as Wilbon is, right? Next year, I, he's under contract. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, you know the, the interesting thing that I'll say is that, you know, first off, as frustrated as LeBron is about this Lakers season, I don't get the vibe he's frustrated about living in Los Angeles. Um, I do think that he is irritated that the Lakers didn't, trade future draft picks and spend more money at the trade deadline. <laughs> he is as passive as aggressive as LeBron is. Um, he was pretty aggressive, aggressive about it. Um, uh, yeah. 
what's the um, general manager of the L.A. Rams? His last name is Sneed. I'm certainly not an NFL guy. Um, uh, but he, you know, they've obviously traded away a bunch of their draft picks. Um, yes, they don't uh, have you know, any. In the future. Yeah, and, they and wanted LeBron to win. Is, yes, and LeBron has gone overboard uh, praising him and the Rams for that uh, for that uh, theory, and you know, just saying this is how you win a championship, and basically like undercutting uh, the decision not to trade a 2027 first round pick, which of course he doesn't care about a 2027 pick. He's He'll not going to be there. Retired. Um, yeah. So I do think that he has some frustration about that, but I don't get the impression he's not happy living his life in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, raising his children in Los Angeles. So it would be a pretty stunning departure. And I will say this. Um, for the, when he signed this contract, because he's actually signed two contracts with the Lakers. He signed the first one, which was for four years, which was the longest contract he had signed uh, since he signed the first time with the Heat. And then he signed an extension to that contract that didn't have a player option in it. And that's the first time he hasn't had a player option in his contract since he was a rookie, his rookie deal in Cleveland from 2003 to seven. Uh, and the reason he didn't have an option in that contract was because they're not allowed. So he's always held that option uh, to, to get out of the last year of his deal. He doesn't have it in this contract. So he is under contract for next year. Now, if he had a player option for next year and the Lakers were not investing more in this team and not trading future picks, I think we have a conversation. But I don't think it's for next year. I think let's okay. see how next year's Lakers go, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Um, I have two people to talk about. I don't, I don't want to keep you on too long. I don't. But two people that fascinate me are not playing at the moment. I have to get this John- terrible blizzard, Tony. Please, please keep me oh, on. Okay. All right. <laughs> One of them is John Wall, who's being paid an unbelievable sum of money to not play and seems to have no particular interest in playing. And Zion Williamson, who's hurt and is hurt all the time. He's hurt all the time. You think Anthony Davis gets hurt all the time? Zion Williamson gets hurt all the time. What is their circumstance? Well... John Wall's situation is unprecedented in NBA history, as far as I can tell. Um, even inflation-adjusted, a guy making $44 million um, to not play and his team not caring. Uh, his, team care. was, you know, his team is in full tank mode. They, they are totally dedicated to getting more uh, higher draft picks. And as I just described to you how Memphis and Cleveland rebuilt by getting those top five picks, mm-hmm. I understand why. They got a top-five pick last year, and they're looking for another one. So John, as last I heard, was working out in, in Miami uh, collecting $44 million. It's That's unbelievable. It's, un- it's unprecedented. And frankly, if you're him, especially with his history, like the only way the Rockets are going to – you know, they're, they're not going to just cut him and because it's someday they might be able to trade him for something. And they're not going to just cut him because – you know, they want to someday possibly trade him. And he's not going to accept a buyout because he knows if he gives up, you know, if, you know, like Blake Griffin, I think, gave up 10 or $12 million to go play for the Nets. John Wall is not giving up the $10 million. He's just not, <laughs> you know, or whatever the agreement would be. And why should he? So we have an unprecedented situation. I think it's a, a terrible look for the league. Uh, but nobody seems to care, Tony, except for maybe you. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, I think it's incredibly bizarre, but there's nothing that could really I could really say about it other than I expect the stalemate to continue. Um, the the thing about Zion, this is what is so strange is he's he is not as far as I can tell, not really working that closely with the team. Um, he got hurt away from the team last summer. It is still unclear to me how he got hurt. He was asked about it, and the team was asked about it. His answer was just playing basketball. I, I mean, I respect someone's medical privacy, but you know, I don't know. I don't know how he broke his foot. He just said just playing basketball. Then he didn't speak, or, or you know, the team didn't reveal it for months, literally for months. And he was away from the team when he. Um, got hurt. He used his own doctor to have the surgery in Los Angeles, which isn't unheard of, but still. Um, and then when he clearly had a setback in December, although, you know, you're not allowed to use that word, but he had a setback in December. He left the team again and went to Portland uh, to, to train. Now, I don't understand this because, number one, 
um, people were saying, well, he went to Nike to train. Well, Nike doesn't do physical therapy. They make shoes, and I mean, they have nice facilities, but nobody goes to, quote, Nike to recover. Secondly, if you have a broken foot, you can't really do much. You know, you have to just let it heal. So I don't really know, and he's never been seen since. He hasn't been around the team at all. The team hasn't said anything. The last update they gave was coming on seven weeks ago. Um, so obviously he's doing something by himself uh, away from the team, and considering he hasn't played, I would say whatever he's doing is not working. And so that is what I think is worrisome, is that Zion, he obviously has some injury concerns. Many players do. Some players have had injury concerns early in their career. They've, they've tried to change things, and they've gone on to have great careers, and that could happen here. But his sort of doing it on his own, is doesn't appear to be working. And, you know, I would just say that you know, he's involved in a lawsuit that's been going on for years now about the time before he uh, was a pro. And, you know, I, I, I hope yeah. he got paid a bunch of money. But it is clear that the decisions being made for him and around him at that time were very questionable, if not, you know, very damaging. That's what's come out of these lawsuits is that he got tied up with shady people trying shady deals who didn't know what they were doing, and it's all spilled out and affected his character and things like this. And that decision-making, you know, left to, to, you know, to his, his and his family's own devices, worried me then. And, you know, so I don't know what decisions are being made by his, by his you know, representation and his, age and his uh, family about his injuries because they just don't give us any information. But the fact that he keeps having setbacks and setbacks makes me wonder about how the, all those affairs are being conducted. It's an amazing league. When you disappear, you just disappear. The 76ers said to Ben Simmons, okay, uh, we'll see you. <laughs> you know, I know well, they didn't say okay. Just, they they find the heck out of him. But, but you know what yeah. I mean? It, it just the, the people disappear. The players run the league. Now, maybe in the other leagues, the players should have more input. But I'm not sure they shouldn't have less input in the NBA. I'm not sure, Brian. You're describing Zion Williamson is one of the, when he was drafted, Zion Williamson was one of a handful, three to five people in the past 10, 12 years that you would say, I want to see that guy, right? And he just doesn't play. He's he's one of the most incredible prospects I've ever seen. Um, He's the best interior scorer since Shaquille O'Neal. When he has played, he has been brilliant. And so that is why not only do the Pelicans do everything they can to try to support him and try to support his wishes, but this summer, my guess is they will sign him to a large contract, whether that contract will have, you know, protections in it. You know, because Joel Embiid, this happened to him. He had, you know, he missed basically two of his first three years but he was so darn good when he played. The Sixers were like, okay, we're going to give you a giant That's contract, right. but we're going to have some, some protections in there. But the six, the, I, could, I can't see the Pelicans not giving him a contract. I agree, you know, but you, you always wonder. Brian, thank you. I, I'm going to send you out into the snow and the ice now. <laughs> I can't protect you anymore. I'll never, go on. I'll never forgive you. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Brian Windhorst, boys and girls, a joy to have on the show. We will come back with email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag, got your email faxes and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag, gonna read some for all you folks. Hey, Tony! Come on, come on! Hey, Tony! Read that mail now, baby. Why did they break up? No idea. Hot Pink Hangover. Why would they break up? Yeah, when's the reunion going to be? Got to get you guys we like them. Yeah, we love them. Um, With all the Bethesda, 90s nostalgia, this is perfect. Bethesda Bagel Ad. Straight uh, out of 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> <laughs> Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Our lyrics today are my favorite lyrics. Among my favorite lyrics of all time. In the chilly hours and minutes of uncertainty, I want to be in the warm hold of your loving mind. To feel you all around me and to take your hand along the sand. Ah, but I may as well try and catch the wind. There are three or four versions of this song by Donovan. The slow version is the one that I like yes. the most. I do. Thanks to our guests today, Jason Lockenfora, Brian Winhorst. Thanks to today's sponsors, Indochino and Trade Coffee. 
We're going to have to do that French press, Michael. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Robert Simeone, or Simeone in Fairfax, Virginia. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I were out for a walk in our neighborhood last night. We did not run into Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> oh, okay. From Jim Cope, as a proud resident of Leavenworth, Kansas, Melissa Etheridge is a favorite daughter of this town. We have the signage to prove it on the roads into town. From Steve in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know if you have any listeners from Nazareth, but I'll say the man from my hometown is number two on the list, <laughs> Muhammad Ali. Uh, from Leif Benson in Owensboro, Kentucky. Back in 1797, a group settled a small patch of land that is my hometown because the land on the Ohio River was a favorite place for buffalo to urinate. Those vastly creative settlers named the settlement Yellow Banks. Some years later, someone named Owen and equally creative decided to rename the town after himself and thus Yellow Banks became Owensboro. Since then, our town has produced Johnny Depp, Old Dominion coach Jeff Jones, Rex Chapman, uh, Moto Grand Prix champion Nikki Hayden, Beulah Annan, who was the inspiration for Roxy Hart in Chicago, NASCAR's Daryl and Michael Waltrip, and Florence Henderson. Do we know how to party or what? <laughs> That's Owensboro, Kentucky. That's pretty good. That's a good list. From Ron Hondo Sites in uh, Tampa. Please stop the vitriol. Commanders is an awesome name. Although I am still waiting on my free Commanders t-shirt and one-way ticket to D.C. along with an invite from Dan Snyder to join the team. Commander Ron Seitz, U.S. Navy retired. <laughs> Originally from Kings Park, Long Island, hometown famous guy Craig Biggio. Yes, Long Island baseball player Craig Biggio. I think he was hit by the pitch more than anyone in Major League Baseball history. That is true. And a better football player in high school than baseball. If this email passes through the Nigel Gauntlet, can I be the official retired Navy diver of the show? 100%. It's yours. From Emery Markles. Dear Dr. Tony, I went to the same high school as your friend Ron Darling. Yes, that Ron Darling. Next time he's on, please tell him Emery Markles, class of 2004, says hello. He won't know who the hell I am, but still right, because he graduated 25 years before that. From Kevin Disher in Bay City, Michigan. Madonna. Yes, that Madonna was born in Bay City, Michigan. The place I call home. It turned out that my mom had worked with her aunt at a dairy bar in the 1970s. But more importantly, Bay City is the hometown of one Eric Devendorf. Please tell Salissa. But here's something that's contrarian to that. From Mike Corey. I live in Rochester Hills, Michigan. By far the most famous person from our small city is the musician Madonna. Well, I have never met her. I have met many people who knew her. Uh, but how, how can we have both of these things? I'm looking it up right now. It says she was born... In Bay City, Michigan. Okay, so not Rochester Hills. Maybe she went to school I th I in think, Rochester Yeah, maybe. Uh, oh, <coughs> raised in the, the suburbs of Rochester Hills. So born. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So both right, I guess. Rusty Frederick, Savannah, Georgia. We can't boast a ton of famous people from Savannah, but we do have a connection to, a, to two of the most famous home runs in baseball playoff history. Bucky Dent and Bobby Thompson. How do you like that list? Bucky Dent didn't live here long, but guess what, Red Sox fan? He was born in Savannah in 1951. Bobby Thompson wasn't born here, but lived the last several years of his life on Skidway Island here in Savannah. I got to know him when he joined our church many, many years after the shot heard around the world. Shortly after my first masculine child was born in 2009, the amazingly humble Mr. Thompson invited us to his home where he graciously signed autographs and posed for pictures. Those photos and personalized still shots of him rounding third on October 3, 1951, are now framed and hanging throughout the house. Miller, and that must be his son, turns 13 in May. He's not a bad ball player when he's not fishing. He doesn't remember that day, but he always requests to wear number 23 on the baseball teams. I have a signed picture by Bobby Thompson as well. Signed by Ralph Brank and Bobby Thompson. Doesn't get better than that. Pretty cool. The, the ink has faded. You can't make it out, but I know what it was. From Bill Isaacson. Sophia, to whom I, rem I remain married, heard the recent email about Frank Shorter being from Middletown, New York, and had her own David Aldridge moment. She promptly told me Frank Shorter went to my high school. That high school is a boarding school named Northfield Mount Hermon in Massachusetts, which you know, Nigel. Yes. With a little research, I found that the 1965 yearbook for the school reports that Frank Shorter was the cross-country team captain his senior year and won every race of the season, including the pie race, and established a new course record on every course he ran. I asked Sophia about the pie race, and she told me if you finish the race with a certain time, you got a pie. <laughs> I admit I have this fear that Northfield Mount Hermon, or NMH, might fall into a Loomis-Chafee category, but I do like the fact that its alumni not only include my wife and Frank Shorter, but also Neil Sheehan, Buster Olney, 
Uma Thurman, and Natalie Cole. The famous alumni of Loomis Chafee, like John D. Rockefeller, Arthur Sulzberger, and Henry Kravis, tend to be a heck of a lot richer. <laughs> Oddly, Natalie Cole went from NMH to my college in Redlands, California. So there you go. As early as college, I was only two degrees of David Aldridge separation from my wife-to-be. Missing Moni from that list. Oh, from my mother-in-law. Northfield, Montana? Went, yeah. I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's quite a good Moni school. Hardwick. Yeah. Wow. From John Cloyd, or Cloyd, now in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Every town has someone famous from there, but my hometown might be the only one that has a famous person that won't be born for another 211 years. Since the mid-80s, Riverside, Iowa has been the birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek. Every year on March 22nd, there's a birthday party for him at the local bar. Only 10 outlets in my kitchen, but I have 43 cabinets and drawers. From John Albrighton in Wilmette, not Willamette, Wilmette, Illinois. Since having my first email read on the show, a recollection of my experience with the late, great Tony Giacomo with a palm in D.C., well, that was, you know, a long yeah. time ago. Tommy right? Giacomo. Well, Tony? well, Tony is his older brother. Oh, I didn't know I th that. No, it's Ray. His older brother is Ray. So it's Tommy Giacomo's. Okay, he's mine. Tommy's mine. I've been waiting for the perfect opportunity to write again in hopes of going two for two on emails read. On Friday's show, Bill Isaacson mentioned Loyola Academy, Bill Murray's high school alma mater, located in Chicago's north suburbs. I thought, wait a second, I know that school. I've been paying my son's tuition to go there for the past four years. More, why didn't you send him to Ignatius like Wilbur? <laughs> More interesting, what Mr. Isaacson failed to mention is that Loyola Academy is also the alma mater of John O'Donnell. Yes, the Johnny O. He of comfy quarter zips and shackets and brother to actor Chris O'Donnell, also a Loyola alum. I should note that Loyola Academy is in the Chicago area Jesuit high school rival of Wilbon's alma mater, go St. Ignatius, go Ramblers. What is our code on Johnny O in case uh, people TK are still Salt listening? And check out the Coffee Run collection. Okay. From Chris <laughs> Bansells in Forest Hill, Maryland. I grew up in Bel Air, Maryland, home of John Wilkes Booth. I'm not sure if I win or lose the game. That's a tough one. From Adam Zundell. Proud to be from Fairmont, West Virginia. And I'm going to guess that the one and only Mary Lou Retton feels the same way. Side note, I took a two-hour car ride with Mary Lou and her husband at the time. She let me ride shotgun and at the end of the ride suggested I might be her lifeline if she was ever on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Remember that? Also, if you swing a dead cat, you can hit the hometowns of Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, John McKay, Rich Rodriguez, and Fielding Yost, all with small towns sitting just outside the sprawling metropolis of Fairmont. Fairmont is also the birthplace of the coal miner delicacy, the pepperoni roll. So eat it, Jamestown. It's very nice. <laughs> and from, Gerald, uh, from Mark Holmes in Abuja, Nigeria, which is not his hometown. I'm from Long Beach. Not that Long Beach. Not your Long Beach in Mississippi. Gerald McRaney. That's it. That's the list. An actor of consequence. That's for sure. Brett Boyle in St. Louis. Famous people from my hometown of Peoria, Illinois. Dan Fogelberg, Joe Girardi, David Ogden Steers, who was on MASH. Yeah, Major Winchester. By the way, you like apples? Richard Pryor from Peoria and got kicked out of my high school. How do you like them apples? From Kirk, Kurt Hines in Wheaton, Illinois. And Wheaton I know well. Because of somebody who's famous there, which we'll get to. I've been a resident of Wheaton, population 50,000, for 30 years. How's this for a local Mount Rushmore? Red Grange, Edwin Hubble, I assume, of the telescope, <laughs> yes, John yes. Belushi, and Bob Woodward. And I knew Bob was from Wheaton. The Galloping Ghost, the most prominent 20th century astronomer, the comedic actor who made SNL must-see TV, and the greatest living journalist. Surely we win the contest on a per capita basis. It's hard to say no. From Joe Rizzo in Oak Hill, Virginia. Your interview with Greg Garcia made me think about his lineage and if he's related to your children. Here's the evidence. He gave a local traffic report. He said, I don't leave the house. I stay home. <laughs> about dog talk, he said, I don't involve myself in any of that. <laughs> about the pandemic, I'm always expecting an Omicron spike. Then lastly, I'll be home with the dog. Does Michael Lins have a brother they don't know about? <laughs> From Jeff Barger or Barger. In Hillsborough, North Carolina, I ran a 5K this weekend. I finished second in my age group. As a prize, I was given chocolate. I thought I was supposed to receive steak knives. <laughs> what are we even doing out here? Yeah, first problem. Yeah, somebody messed second up. My steak. And Mike McEnany, I hope I pronounced that right, in Dunkirk, Maryland. Have you considered using your Chewbill concierge to get the reservation at Carbone? <laughs> we got to get the reservation at Carbone. I got two kids, not my kids. I got the kids of a friend of mine who really want to go to Carbone. And now that I've got the sauce, you got the sauce. thanks like, to Michael, yes, I getting, am the sauce. It feels, it feels like we're getting closer. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Look, look at like the Michigan man! Right. Look at the Michigan man! Uh
Just when you think you've got a handle On all of life's shocking twists and turns Pandemics come and go and all the rest of it But I'm trying to comprehend what I've just learned The hammer snores, that ain't no fiction Get him a briefcase and a shaving club subscription What's this Velcro sneaker business, damn it? In his sippy cup, some bourbon or that good wine from Willamette The hammer snores, oh yes it's true Grab his cigarettes, we're going to the zoo He's got a check it past, his life ain't pretty all the secrets he could tell, stinky and dirty The hammer snores, the hammer roars Who knows what else he's doing behind closed doors In his jammies, the liquor pours The hammer snores The old folks remember D-Day Where they were flavor their ice cream Some folks remember Kennedy Or the Olympic hockey team My uncle remembers Sputnik He was in the seventh grade Now we think of time as either before or after The Simmons Harden trade Gosh, I can barely remember The time before they swapped their shirts Simmons couldn't shoot Harden thought his teammates were jerks Here's a picture of me Don't I look anxious and afraid Apparently taking a week before The Simmons-Harden trade Simmons hard and trade Can't imagine how life would have been If Simmons stays in Philly And James stays in Brooklyn But we don't need to wonder And life's one big parade Ever since they finally did pull off That Simmons hard and trade 